Well, let's turn our attention to God's Word uh, together. If you have a copy of Scripture, uh, you can grab that, take that out. If you don't have a copy of uh, the Bible with you, uh, we got one that you can use underneath one of the seats in front of you, and I'm well aware that you could pull that up on your phone. That works too, but if you want a, a copy and to put in your lap, there are some Bibles in front of you, and if you don't own one, you're welcome to take that home with you. That's our uh, gift to you. And we are in the book of John, so um, if you're unfamiliar with where the books are, that's okay. Uh, you can use that table of contents or or if you want to like, kind of just uh, flip through, if you go to the last third of your Bible, if you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, you're close. We're in John. If you find Acts, you went too far. So uh, go back. But we're in John chapter 4 this morning. And we're continuing a series um, that we're going to be in for the next year or so. We're going to be um, uh, less at this point. But we're walking through the Gospel of John. And the title that we're using, the, the, the whole series, we're calling it Life in His Name. Uh, because John says the purpose that he wrote and he recorded his stories was that we would know and see the signs that Jesus did. And that by seeing these signs and hearing that, that we would believe he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior, that he is the Messiah, and that by believing we would find life in his name. And so that's what we're seeing this morning. And these stories were recorded by uh, the um, disciple John, who was one of Jesus's best earthly friends. Uh, he, he was one of his closest friends, and so he had an up-close and personal view of Jesus, and as he records and sees, these are, these are things that he was there for and witnessing and a part of and hearing and, and, and interacting with Jesus about. Well, as we come to the passage uh, this morning, let me just give you the title because it kind of, it, it has our theme that we're going to be talking about this morning. I'm calling it this, Cultivating Faith in Christ. And I, I would like to um, kind of propose something that I believe every one of us, whether we are um, consider ourselves a follower of Christ or not, so if you're here this morning and whether you're a Christ follower or not, you have faith in your life. I believe not just in this room, but everybody has faith in something. Um, as we walk through life, as we kind of encounter situations, circumstances, we um, are, are constantly uh, putting faith in various things. So for example, if you walk through um, Maybe you've ever experienced some sort of medical uh, crisis or, or some sort of medical situation, and you needed to go to a doctor uh, to figure that out. At various times, in various parts of the process, maybe your faith was in different things. Uh, maybe your faith was in that doctor. You're like, well, he's been to school or she's been to school and kind of studied this, been through this while, so that your faith is kind of in their knowledge and what they know or the team of experts or the things that, that you've kind of experienced. Uh, other times, maybe you've walked through that and you're like, well, I don't know about them, but I do know God, and so he's going to carry me through this, and so your faith's kind of in that. Or other times, it's like, well, I, I, maybe I'm just going to get healthy. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to kind of, I'm going to do what I can do. And so your faith's kind of in your kind of ability or your research or your things. Uh, by the way, doctors do love that when you're like, well, I was on the internet, and I, I had a couple ideas, like, just, yeah, share that with your doctor. They're going to really love their, when you come in faith, in more faith in yourself than uh, their, the degree and their experience, but um, to each his own. But we all have faith in different things, right? In different times, in different ways. So it's not a matter of whether or not we have faith. I think what we need to really kind of ask the question of, and what I want to ask you this morning is, where is your faith? What is the object of your faith? Where is your faith directed? Because I think it's easy for us to kind of put our faith, whether knowing or unknowingly, in various places, and it's really interesting because I think sometimes when you encounter people that maybe would claim that they don't have faith, which again, I don't know that 
that's true, that everyone has faith in something. But people that don't have, say, a spiritual or kind of a, a religious faith, if you want to kind of use those words, they look at that and they're like, well, if that works for them, then that's good for them, right? But maybe not for me. Others maybe look at uh, faith and they're like, well, um, you know, I could never have that kind of faith. Maybe they look around and they see the way that somebody's kind of navigating a situation in life and they, they see that and they're like, well, that, they clearly have a faith that I don't know if I could ever have that. And somehow I think we put ourselves in this box or these categories where faith sort of exists for various people in various ways and some people are people of faith and others sort of aren't and those sorts of things. But here's the thing, I think we need to clear all of this up because the Bible has quite a bit to say about faith and it's my belief and I think we see this in scripture, is that all of us, all of us can and are called to have faith and it's available to every one of us. Not only to have faith, but to have something solid that we can put our faith in. That there's an object of our faith, right? And so where we put our faith is a really important question that we're asking. So the theme or what we're talking about this morning is what does it look like to cultivate faith in Christ? If we put our faith in Christ, what does that look like? And that's this great story that we have here this morning from God's word shows a great example of someone who sought to put their faith in Christ and what that resulted in. Let's read through the text together. This is what we like to do here um, at City on a Hill. We kind of page by page, paragraph by paragraph, walk through God's word. So as we come to this, we're in John chapter four, beginning in verse 43. I wanna read the text in its entirety that we're gonna look at this morning, the passage that we're looking at. John chapter four, beginning in verse 43, it says this. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he did, had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Canaan in Galilee, where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was a official an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus uh, said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that God, Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him, and the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. And this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now, this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. What I want to do is, is uh, kind of give us a big idea that I think is going to sort of shape us this morning. I've already sort of um, introduced it, but let me just give it to you in this way. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's this. We're going to see this morning that more important than the amount of faith is the object of faith. More important than the amount of my faith is the object of my faith. Now, I want to be clear in the way that I say that. I'm not saying that the amount of faith is unimportant. Jesus spoke about the amount of faith all the time. Uh, I did a quick kind of search and just looked up all the places that Jesus commented or talked about people's faith. And if you've read through the Gospels, at times he was saying, oh, you of little faith, 
right? Or because of your great faith, or this is a faithless people. And, and he was constantly talking about how much faith they had. And so I'm not saying that the amount of faith that we have doesn't matter. I think we should have great faith. But even more important, and what's going to, I think, produce great faith, the thing that's sort of upstream of that is where our faith is directed. And so that's what we're talking about this morning, is the object of our faith. This is what we're going to see in God's Word as we walk through it together. Let me pray and ask that God would teach us now as we um, walk through this um, together. God, we thank you for your Word. Lord, we thank you for the truth that it has for us here this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would teach us now. God, we um, want to open our hearts, we want to open our ears, Lord, to hear from you, to respond to you. God, I pray that you would um, just direct us as we, as we study together, and God, that you would increase our faith. Lord, those of us in the room who are struggling and maybe need more faith, uh, God, those of us who um, maybe have um, doubted or uh, God, who have um, considered walking away from our faith. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen that in us as well. Lord, would you teach us now, we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Verse 43, let's kind of walk our way. This is what we like to do. So let's kind of like go back through it and unpack this a little bit. Um, as we jump in at verse 43, I kind of want to point out something. Um, sometimes you notice that as we walk through passages, uh, that sort of lines up. A lot of your Bibles, if you're looking at an English copy of the Bible, and I'm assuming you are, um, that there is uh, a little bit of a separation between verse 45 and 46, and then there's that italicized heading. I think it's worth pointing out. I mean, if you're new to the Bible, you won't, you, there's no reason you would know this. So let me just tell you that um, those headings and all those little numbers that are so helpful in us kind of navigating and finding our places, all of that, none of that was in the original writing. Okay, that was added much, much later. The numbers, it's so we can get around and that we can kind of find places, right, and all be consistently in the same place in the scriptures. But those little headings and those separations were uh, just sort of put in there to help kind of gather and group the topics together. And so oftentimes, as I preach through, you'll find me sort of following those section headings. But every once in a while, like this morning, I think that they may have got it a little bit off. Okay, and I'm not alone. Okay, just so you know, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not arrogant in thinking I'm the only one here. But, but what what I think you will see is that verses 43 through 45 sync up better, or sort of connect better with verses the following verses, beginning in verse 46, than the ones uh, preceding. And so that's why we're jumping in in the middle of a quote unquote section. Okay, so I just think that's a helpful thing to point out. Look at verse 43. It says, "After two days, after the two days, what are the two days? Well." If you were here last week, it's the two days that Jesus added on to his trip in Samaria. If you recall, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to. He was going from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. And so he went through Samaria. And there he encountered this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And I would encourage you, if you missed last week, to go back, study that. You can listen to the sermon online if you need to. But, but what resulted is, is that this woman believed that Jesus was the Messiah who was promised. More than that, she went and started telling everyone in the town. They all came out. And it says that they came and they heard what Jesus said. And they said they believed. Many more believed because of his word. They're like, not just because of what the woman said, but we believe because we have seen and heard for ourselves. And so he stayed there with them for two more days. So after the two days they spent there in Samaria, he departed for Galilee. And there's this little note here. At some point, Jesus said that, that, he, that a, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. 
Now, this is kind of a curious statement to kind of see there because it says, it seems to say that he has no honor in his hometown, yet he goes to Galilee, which is in the area of his hometown. And it says, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem and at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So I think this is like a little bit confusing. I don't want to get too bogged down by this, but I think it's helpful to understand. His hometown is Nazareth. His birthplace is Bethlehem. So he's born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth. For me, my birthplace, I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I grew up in Monroe, Wisconsin. So I consider Monroe my hometown. So Nazareth is his hometown, but he's kind of returning to the region of his hometown. So I think there's a couple ways that we can interpret this, but I just want to give you what I think is the best. I think what he's saying here is that when he was in his um, kind of out of his hometown or not with his home people in Samaria, what just happened? The people were flocking, they were believing, they were believing not just generally, but believing in him as the savior of the world. When he goes to back to his people, back to his home region, it seems that the people are welcoming him, but what you have to understand is he's about to rebuke the people. He's about to correct them because they're welcoming him, but they're welcoming him in the way that we would be really excited when the circus comes into town right? Like they're, they're just excited that like, oh man, what's Jesus going to do now? But they're not receiving him as a prophet. They're not embracing him for who he is. And so that's why he said that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. He's going back to his home, home people, but he's actually not going to find, he's not going to find the same reception there that he found right there in Samaria. And so when he says, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast for they too had gone to the feast. So they were there at the feast, and what did they observe at the feast? Do you remember? If you were here a few weeks ago, we looked at this. At the feast, Jesus kind of made quite the stir. He overturned all the tables. He uh, released all the animals. Remember, he kind of like disrupted the temple. He drove out all of the marketplace. And so what happened there is... Uh, is they were like, well, what's Jesus going to do next, right? They know that he's, he comes back to Cana where he turned water to wine, and then he went down to Jerusalem, and he kind of created this big stir. So they're all coming. They're like, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do next? They wanted to see something miraculous. They wanted to see something new and novel. And so that's why they were flocking to him. Verse 46, he came again to Cana in Galilee where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. We don't know who this official was. We don't get the name. We don't even know what kind of official he was, but he had some sort of government or sort of official capacity. And he came, a man of importance, he came because he was out of options. Notice his son was ill, but it says that he was um, sick to the point of death. And so he made the journey to Cana. Now, again, as we read that, we maybe in our ears, we don't, it doesn't seem like maybe as big of a deal as it is, but the reality is this would have been a big deal. For the official, the fact that his son was sick was kind of a big deal. If, if I were to ask you in the day of Jesus, hey, um, you know, do you have any kids? You'd say, yeah, I have X amount of sons and I have some daughters. You may or may not mention the daughters because the sons were really what were kind of important in that. I'm not saying that that's true or good. I'm just saying that's how it was viewed. And so the reality is, is if he's going to lose his son, he's losing his namesake. He's losing the person that's going to carry on the name and, and, and the family and provide and, and, and inherit and all of that. Like that, I mean, the, the, the importance of, of the son was incredible. So he's feeling not just for the love for his own son, but even the future of his family, he's concerned and worried in that place. So much so 
that he makes the trip from Capernaum to Cana. Again, we don't know the distance, but if you were to look it up, it's about 25 miles. Uh, that would be at least a day's journey. I mean, it's, there's some mountainous area. There's some kind of hilly terrain that you have to cover. And so that's like a pretty good clip that you're going to have to move at to get there in place. So he went for an entire day. Again, I think it's helpful to live in the text. Put yourself there. I mean, it was such a severe situation that dad's like, hey, I got to go. I think our only option, we're going to go ask this Jesus. You know, his wife's like, are you sure? Like, you might not be here if he, if he passes away. You're not going to be here in those fights. He's like, I don't, this is our last option. We don't have any other choices. And so he packs up and goes and prepares a couple days food for the journey. And he begins to make his way to Cana to find Jesus. That's where we meet this official. And here's the thing what you're going to see is that there's actually this distinction that's drawn between the official and the crowd. Notice it in verse 46. It says, um, uh, so Jesus said to him, that is the man, unless you see the signs and wonders, you will not believe. There's a little bit of a harsh tone to this. And, and at first glance, you might be like, man, Jesus, like the guy just, his son's dying. He just made the 25 mile trek to get to you. And this is how you're going to welcome or greet him. I think it's softened or sort of put into context a little bit when you understand the language of, of that. That word you, maybe your Bible has it. Mine has a little number two next to it. If I scan down to the bottom, it says that this is the Greek word for you is plural. So if we're in the South, that would be translated y'all, okay? Here in the North, we say you guys, right? And so that's what, that's what he's saying. He's saying, he's not just saying you to the man, He's using the situation with the man to address all the people that are gathered around, right? So he says, he says, unless you guys see the signs and the wonders, you will not believe. He's like, you're here for a show. And I'm worried that unless you see the show, you're not going to believe. And this is where we have to be kind of clear what's happening. Let me just give you the point. I think what we're going to see this morning is a few warnings, some cautions that the text has for us if we want to cultivate our faith. Here's the first caution that the text has for us if we want to cultivate faith in Christ. It's this, is that don't get caught up in the crowd. Don't get caught up in the crowd. The crowd was there with their own agenda. Again, they wanted to see the spectacle in the show. How do we know this? It's the word that Jesus uses for wonders. This is like the only place that John uses this word, but it's different than the word that he uses for miracles everywhere else. Every other place that John uses a word for miracle, it's like a sign. It's pointing somewhere. It's a signpost. It's, it's, it's pointing the people towards something. This word wonders communicates like kind of a spectacle in and of itself. It's like it's got some awe and kind of wonder to it but it doesn't necessarily have the same direction that the other words that John uses. So they're there to be sort of awed, right? They're there to like kind of, what are you going to do next, Jesus? Like you going to pull something out of a hat? Like what, what's, what's going to happen? This is the posture of the crowd. And so what Jesus is doing in, in, in a very loving way is he's trying to illustrate to the entire crowd, like, hey, unless you see Unless you see this, I'm worried that you're not going to believe. But I want you to believe in me for who I am, and I want you to believe me and take me at my word. And so what he's doing is he's, he's saying this for all to hear, but he's really saying it to the official. He's like, hey, don't get caught up in the crowd here. They're all here for the spectacle. I know you have a real need, but you don't understand. What you really need is me. Right? That's what he's trying to say. He's like, I want you to believe not just because of the signs and the wonders, but because of who I am. Let me state it another way. I just want to be as clear as I possibly can. 
I don't think miracles in their self, miracles by themselves, do not compel belief. Miracles do not compel belief by themselves. And I think that's a helpful distinction for us because, again, we might get caught up in the crowd. If you've ever said, well, you know, man, if I would have seen that, right, or if God could just do that, if Jesus would just do this, I think we think that if, if, if God showed himself in the same way, like if I was there when he parted the sea, right? If I was there when the sun stood still, if I was there when that bread fell from heaven, if I was there when he resurrected and brought Lazarus back to life, like if I saw that, then I would believe. And I think we gotta be careful because we're getting caught up in the crowd if that's ever what you've thought. Because look what happened. I mean, Jesus showed many, many miracles and yet many did not believe in him. Miracles and signs by themselves will not compel belief. And so we have to be careful. I think the question we need to ask is who does Jesus say that he is, right? I think so many times we take other people's perception of Jesus or other people's words, like what does our world say? What does our culture say? What is, what is this book or this author or this take or this podcast? What do they say? That's why we wanna walk through John, right? That's why it's so good for us to be in the word because what does Jesus say about himself? We don't wanna get caught up in the crowd and lose the perspective of, of who Jesus is for himself, right? Like how has he made himself known to us. And so if we're going to cultivate our faith, we've got to be careful that we don't get caught up in the crowd, but we're coming to Jesus for who he is, not just for the wonders that he can do, not just for the things, but we're trusting him. We're taking him at his word. That's where the crowd is, is kind of missing it. Let's continue on. Verse 47, it says this, when this man heard, we're kind of going back a little bit, but when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to find him and asked him to come down and heal his son. All right, so the whole time on the journey there, right, that 25-mile trek, he's probably rehearsing, I would be, right? Okay, Jesus, like I'm kind of talking through it. I'm kind of thinking about what I'm saying, how I'm going to come across, you know, and, and kind of my whole presentation. And the whole while, he's getting there with the intention that Jesus is coming back with him, right? Again, told his wife, told his family before he left, hey, prepare a place. Jesus is going to come back. We're going to have him. He's going to come. He's going to heal him there. And so he's making his way all the way there. And he says, he says, will you come with me? Will you come down to heal my son? Because he he's near death. And this is where Jesus says what we already kind of looked at. Jesus said to him, unless you see the signs and wonders, you will not believe. So the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. He's not discouraged by that. And that is where I think we see, again, something that we can learn from this man and the way that he is demonstrating his faith. And a second warning for us is this, is that we won't get crippled. Don't get crippled by your crisis. You see, I think, I think sometimes as we navigate and walk through tough times, right, as we navigate crisis in our life, sometimes the response is that we get crippled. Do we not? We get paralyzed we get depressed, we get discouraged, we're beat up, we're kind of unable to walk forward. And that's not what we see here. What we see here is that this man, in his crisis, he acts. He's out of desperation, but he's not crippled by it. He's like, I'm gonna get to Jesus. I'm, I'm, this is kind of the Hail Mary pass here right? I'm going to get to Jesus. And then he gets to Jesus and Jesus is kind of correcting and saying, hey, be careful. You're not just here for the signs and the wonders. And he says, no, no, sir, come down before my child dies. What he believed was genuine, 
right? The object of his faith in that moment is he's like, Jesus, you are my only hope. And how easy would it have been for, for, for him to be crippled in that moment and to lose all hope, right? To forget the whole purpose of why he came. Here it seems that Jesus is uninterested in, in, in coming with him or here Jesus is correcting him in, in some way. But, but what does he do? He's like still pressing forward. He's like, no, no, I gotta get to Jesus. Jesus, you are the healing power that I need. You are capable of doing what I cannot do. And I just wanna encourage us in this because if we're honest, right, sometimes, sometimes when we find ourselves in crisis, we get crippled, we get stuck. Unless I'm the only one. Am I the only one? I don't think I'm the only one. I think we get stuck, right? And the reason is, is because that's when we kind of lose faith. But what does it mean to lose faith? Like when we talk about that. I think in order to understand how we lose faith, maybe we have to understand where, where faith comes from. Um, I've heard it kind of use this example. Imagine you're kind of walking through, again, sort of a medical need, and you do some information, do some research, and the doctor is presenting to you a path for treatment, some sort of next step. And so after your research in there, you begin to kind of find the information. And then after doing the research and kind of doing it, now all of a sudden you're like ready to move forward with it. Well, that's like an informed faith. You, you, did, you know the facts, you understand things. Now you are putting faith in that. But then imagine you wake up and you're uncertain about being able to go through with the, um, the, the surgery because you're just kind of getting cold feet. Or like, have you gotten any new information? No. Like, is, is there something that has changed your mind? No, you're, you're, you're kind of just, receipt, you're, you're, you're questioning it. You're losing faith in what you thought to be true. See, unbelief, I think I've heard it said this way, unbelief is when um, our heart is talking to us. Faith is when we're talking to our heart. Right? So we're telling our heart what should, we should believe. And we're telling our heart where, what the truth is and what really matters. But sometimes we get distracted. We get discouraged by the situation around us. Recently, um, I, I, uh, I heard this, and it just kind of hit me between the eyes. I had never heard it said this way. But we're so good at questioning our different situations and circumstances, right? When you come into that place, maybe you start to question God. You question his character, his goodness, his sovereignty, his presence, his awareness, all of that. You might question that. But the thing that I was challenged in is that, you know, maybe we need to do a little bit more of questioning our questions, right? Or doubting our doubts, why does everything else get the same, this level of scrutiny that we think that, you know, we can assess everything and kind of, but our ability to assess is somehow unflawed, right? That when we have questions, when we have doubts, like that, that that's certain and that's, that's pure and that's just right. I'm not saying that you can never have doubts and have it be, you know, a good doubt. What I'm saying is maybe we need to doubt our doubts a little bit more. Right? That's where the church comes in. That's where the word of God comes in. Because if we're doubting things and we go back to the word of God and it's like, no, no, it's here, black and white, like it's telling me this. I don't have to doubt this. Or you sit down with that friend or that small group member or your small group leader or something, and they're like, no, no, let me tell you what the word of God says. Let me tell you what's true. All of a sudden, the doubts that we have, if we start doubting our doubts, now we're reassured and we can restore faith. Faith can increase again. You see, that's what's happening here is that this man, he's tempted to be crippled by his crisis if he doesn't, if he doesn't move forward and kind of continue to trust in the Lord that God's gonna work through Jesus here. And so he acts, he, he moves. And so I don't know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what crisis you might be in even today. 
But my encouragement would be, don't stop there. Don't allow the doubts to overwhelm, but come back to the truth of God and who he is. What has he said about himself? What is he doing? What has he done in the past? That's why I love services like this. That's why I love the opportunity when we kind of speak about God's word. We remember back to the way that God has worked because when we remember God's faithfulness in the past, it informs our, our confidence of God's faithfulness in the future. Right? Like it's, it's when looking back that we can then look forward with that confidence. And so we see that the, the official, he, he doesn't get crippled by his crisis. He's moving forward. What happens next? Look at verse 50. Jesus responds to him out of care and kindness. Grace, he says to him, go, your son will live. Again, the man came to bring Jesus back. And Jesus is like, no, no, I'm not coming with you. I don't need to come with you. I can heal him from here. In fact, it's better that I heal him from here because again, it's not about the spectacle and the sign and all the things that that's gonna do. I'm just going to send you on your way that you will believe that I am able to do it. He says, go, your son will live. And so it says right here, this is where it's all about faith, right? The man had faith. He believed the word that Jesus had spoke to him and he went on his way. How do we know that the man believed? Because he went on his way, right? It's the action that demonstrates the faith. Faith leads us to action. And that's the fourth warning for, or sorry, third warning for us. Third caution is don't get casual with Christ's commands. Don't get casual with Christ's commands. If we have genuine faith, a believing, secure faith, it's going to result in action, right? It starts, I think the progression, Tim Keller says this, the progression of, of uh, faith begins with information, but then it moves and, and grows through, um, is matured through, through will, through action, through decisions, and then it is fully formed in crisis and in trouble. Like that's what's happening for him is that he has a crisis here that he's walking through and this, this decision to put faith is now being realized. But here's the cool thing. There's this incredible cycle that happens when we have faith and when we act in faith. Maybe you've experienced this in the past. Uh, let me just give an example. I've seen this many, many times um, in the lives of people in our church, but I've walked with and kind of seen um, you know, couples at times struggle with infertility. And it's a very real challenge, and many in this room have walked through that. And, and some have lasted longer than others, and some have been kind of an ongoing back and forth and, and, and that. And, but I've seen couples kind of walk through a period of, of wanting to have kids, unable to have kids, and, and, and then there's this crisis, right? Like, what do I do? How do I respond to God? And I've seen as there's questions being asked, like, God, do you not care? God, do you not see? God, are you not able? God, can you not work? God, can you not do this? But then I've also seen that there's a turn that's made when they know that God is caring, they know that God is loving, and so they choose to trust in his goodness, choose to trust in his timing. And then what happens, I've seen a variety of things come as a result. I've seen that same couple that struggled for so long to get pregnant, now all of a sudden get pregnant. And they have children that they longed for and prayed for. In other situations, that wasn't the outcome. Instead, they were led to a place of adoption and they were able to adopt a beautiful child and, and to bring a beautiful child into their life and to, and to walk through it that way. Another time, I had a good friend that they were struggling and God led them to this place of, you know what? We're not gonna adopt. We're not gonna have our own kids. We're just gonna be such a blessing to all the other families and children around. 
And they kind of made it their mission to be the greatest kind of aunt and uncle, surrogate aunt and uncle, grandma and grandpa to like any kid that was around them. And that was just the place that they were going to be. And I've seen other couples get moved and led toward the Lord to like just really embrace the ministry that they had. And they're kind of in a unique place and they could kind of dedicate their time in certain ways. But, but what I'm saying is I'm not saying that the promise is if you trust in God's faithfulness that he's going to give you the exact desire or kind of the way that you think it was. What I'm saying is, is that God is going to give just what you need. And it might look a little different than the plan. But then what happens as a result as you take an action, a faith action, step out in faith, then what happens is they find God to be faithful. And you know what then happens? Is now they're more willing to take another step of faith. And then as they take that step, they find, a, find God faithful all over again. And it kind of increases that faith. I'm just telling you that as you take each step toward the Lord, trusting his commands, doing the things that he said, what it's going to do is you're going to find that, oh man, God actually does know what he's talking about. Like he really does. I'm just telling you, it's, it's, it is so incredibly clear. The more that you walk in Christ's commands, the more that you will find him to be faithful. And for clarity, I'm not saying that that then means every desire of your heart or the exact kind of plan that you have in mind is going to come about. That's never been promised to us. But what has been promised is that God and his goodness will walk you through exactly the path that is going to bring you to the very best place possible with him if you trust him, if you walk with him, if your faith is in him. And so, church, we gotta be careful with this, that we don't get casual with Christ's commands. This book, this word is full of tons of things that we are said to do. And I've watched as individuals, as couples, as families have been tempted to compromise on the commands of Christ. They get in a crisis and they're like, well, I know God told me to do this, but you know what, I don't really wanna do it. Or I know God said that I should do that, but that's just too hard right now. And so I'm going to kind of take it on my own way. And I'm going to do it this way. I'm just telling you if, you, can, if you can do it Christ's way, if you can do it the way that he's instructed, you're going to find that that is going to lead you to a better place every single time. Every single time. That's what happens here. Right? Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. What did he do? He went. He packed up his stuff and he's like, not the outcome I was expecting, but I'm going to trust Right? The object of his faith was in the power of Christ. He doesn't even have to come. He's going to just somehow do it from there. So he says he believed the word that he spoke, went on his way. And what happened? He doesn't even make it all the way home. As he's going home, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. His son was recovering. It's like, hey, he did it. It happened. He was not casual with Christ's commands. And then what did Jesus do? He chose to heal. In this situation, he chose to heal. And the reality is this, is that his faith was more fully formed having walked through that crisis than it was before. The reality is that God fully forms our faith through crisis, through troubled times, through difficulty. I don't love it any more than you do. I don't like long for it any more than you do, but that is what is like the primary place. If you look back on different difficult times in your life, those are probably the places that God was the most actively, most apparently at work in your life, if you let him, if you let him. I'm not saying that every crisis is gonna do that. If, if you're like closed off and not allowing him to work, well then, yeah, there's nothing you can do about that. But if you're walking with him and you're letting him do it, then that's, that's what he's gonna use to bring you to that place. But here's, this, here's the thing. I think the skeptical person, right, they does it and like, well, would he have just healed anyways? Would he have just kind of 
been on his own? Like if, 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 if the man never came, like are we sure Jesus did it, right? So the skeptic is kind of addressed here. Verse 52, we continue on. And so the man, the official, asked him, asked the servants, them, the hour when he began to get better. They're like, okay, I'm so glad he's better. When did that happen? And what did they say? They said it was yesterday. Well, that's when he was talking to Jesus. At the seventh hour, that's one o'clock, the fever left him. And notice what it says, verse, verse 53, the father knew that that was the hour Jesus had said to him, your son will live. He's like, it was right after lunch when I finally caught Jesus. Like, that's exactly when he told me he was going to heal him. And I love it because Jesus, Jesus could have waited, right? He could have healed him at three or four or six o'clock or overnight or something like that. But what did he do? He did it right there at that moment. Why? Because he wanted to strengthen the man's faith. He wanted to give him a confidence. And so in doing so, it says he believed, not only him, but what does it say? All of his household. This most likely included his kids, his wife, his, his servants, his workers. I mean, this is like a preview of, of what's going to happen in Acts, right? How many times does someone believe and then the entire household jumps on? And so he believes because of what had happened. And it says this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to uh, Galilee. Here's our fourth warning. It's this, is don't get confused where your faith is centered. At that moment, it wasn't just because he had had faith in some higher power, right? Like his son was not healed just because he went on a little pilgrimage to Cana. His son wasn't healed just because he had kind of asked some random man for some help. That's not why his son was healed. His son was healed because he went to Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, and he asked him for help. His faith was in Jesus. And so you and I, we need to be careful that we don't get confused at where our faith is centered. Listen, church, we don't gather in this room just to have kind of a, a spiritual experience. As we sing these songs, we're not singing to some unknown higher being or some higher power. We're addressing, we're worshiping, we're singing to the creator God. Uh, the Bible refers to him as our father, our heavenly father, the one who made us and who knows us. As we lift high the name of Jesus, it's not just some historical figure or some you know, Jewish man that lives a couple thousand years ago. It's God become flesh. It's God dwelling with man. Jesus lived perfectly according to the law, never sinning. He lived to perfection and he did so so that he could die. A death he didn't deserve, but one that you and I deserved. And so when we put our faith, when we put our trust in him, it's not just in some sort of generic, like for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, we're not counting on like my own works outdoing my bad works, right? Or somehow I've earned my favor with God and he's gonna overlook some things. Our faith, the object of our faith is only in Christ and him alone. He's the only one that can save. Jesus is amply clear about this. We're gonna come to this later in the book of John, but he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. How clear is that? That's super clear. Like Jesus is the only way. He's the only object of our faith. And so we need to be careful that we don't get confused as to where our faith is centered. I think so many times we try and take it back on ourselves, right? Or so many times we seek just very kind of worldly wisdom. I'm not saying, like, I'm not telling you to only read like Christian authors or, or only read the Bible or something like that. But I, I'm just telling you, I've watched as 
as friends, as family, as, as, as people in the church kind of turn to the world for answers where the Bible has spoken so clearly. There's plenty of places that you should turn for some information. Like if you want to know how to like fix the like transmission on your car, like I don't think you're going to find that here, okay? Jesus doesn't, like he cares about your transmission. I'm not going to, sorry, I was going to say, he doesn't care. He cares, okay? He'll help you. But, but he hasn't told you how to do that here. But there are some things that he has talked about. Like he's talked about what it means to raise kids. He's talked about what your marriage should look like. He's talked about like what the contentment and what, you know, what your heart condition should be like or what, what your identity is found. Like there's tons of things that he's said. And so we gotta be careful that we don't go chasing all these other things and that we find our faith centered on, on anything but the truth of Christ and what he's shown, what he's given us in his perfect word. Don't get confused where your faith is centered. I wanna kind of end with this sort of illustration. You know, it's not, again, about the amount of our faith that matters. It's the object of our faith. And so when you find yourself in a crisis, the question is, what is it that you're hanging on to, right? If you're about to end, jump off of a dock and you wanna hold on to something to help you float, right? If you pick up like a cinder block and kind of clutch it tightly with every hope in the world that that's gonna keep you afloat and you sort of jump off, it's gonna work far, far less than if you kind of pick up the life preserver and hang on to that life preserver, right? Now you can clutch and cling on to both of them with like as tight as you possibly can. But the reality is only one is going to keep you afloat. The other is gonna cause you to sink. Listen, it's not the amount of our faith that matters as much as what our faith is. And even just the littlest amount of faith in Christ, as you begin to cling closely to him, you will find that there's even more reason to cling closer and tighter and hold on even more because he is the object of our faith. And so that's what we're hanging on to, church. That's what we're looking to. That's where we're going for hope in our times of crisis. That is where our faith lies. Let's pray. Jesus, you and you alone are able to save. God, you came that we might know you and that we might know life through you. Jesus, you gave up your life so that we, uh, God, not only that we, we, we wouldn't have to, uh, but God, because we couldn't. In and of ourselves, Lord, we are lost. We are dead in our sin. God, we thank you for the free gift of life that we find in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that this would encourage our faith this morning. God, whatever place we find ourselves in in this room, and I know a room this size, there's for sure several of us that are just coming out of a crisis, Lord. And looking back and maybe seeing the ways that we were crippled or the ways that we misstepped. And Lord, we know that your grace covers and God, that you are uh, still faithful. Lord, some of us in this room are in the middle of a crisis right now. Lord, I pray that this passage, that this example of this official would, would be an encouragement to us, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't stay stuck, Lord, but that we would go to you and that we would trust you and that we would do the things that you've said for us to do, trusting you for the result, Lord, whatever it is that you might bring. And God, I know for others of us in the room, the crisis is right around the corner. God, would you prepare our hearts? Lord, strengthen our resolve. God, give us that firm foundation so when the storms come, God, when the wind blows, that we would be like that wise man that built his house on the stone. The storms would not blow it over because it's built upon a firm foundation. God, we want to listen and obey your word. And so God, help us to do that, we pray. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.